This is The Guardian. Post-Covid, we all want to take control of our health. I'm about to do a blood test and I'm not in the doctor's office, I'm sat in my bathroom because I've ordered a private blood test to do at home, so I'm going to get it out. You might have seen adverts for these kinds of blood tests. Now anyone who knows me knows that I will not find this a pleasant experience because I don't mind blood but I don't like needles and even the thought of doing one of these small ones at home does not fill me with a lot of joy. They can check all kinds of bodily markers, from your hormones, vitamin D levels, to cholesterol, just using a small tube full of blood. I can't tell you how much blood is just on my floor. It's a good job I didn't do this in the studio. The idea is you can optimise your health from the convenience of your home. Right, I think I'm there. Now all I need to do is package this up and send it off. So wish me and my blood good luck. But how much can these tests really tell us about our health? Could they be making a whole lot of us anxious for no reason and adding pressure to an already stretched health service? From The Guardian, I'm Madeline Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. Emma Wilkinson, you're a freelance journalist, and you've done an investigation for the British medical journal, the BMJ, about over-the-counter blood tests. When did they first appear on your radar? I had always been aware that you could buy kind of private tests online, but I'd really noticed a big growth in how they were being marketed. So it just felt like these tests were kind of becoming more widely available, I guess. So how big is this market? Because as you described, I've seen the adverts everywhere. But how many different private companies are there offering blood tests? Yeah, so it's hard to put a number on. In our investigation, we found there were dozens of these in the UK. and Globally, there's lots of different figures depending on where you look, but it does seem to be quite a booming industry. Give me a sense of what you can actually test with some of these companies. What kind of things do they say you can find out about your health? You can test for vitamin deficiencies or thyroid hormones, cholesterol, diabetes, fertility, testosterone, So there's a big variety and they range from something like maybe £30 for a basic sort of cholesterol test to many hundreds of pounds when you move on to the more complex things like genetic tests for cancer risk. And the tests that interested me the most were things that were being marketed for testing your immune health or wellness, or perhaps if you were feeling fatigued or had low energy or wanted to improve your sleep quality. And you can get kind of a general men's health test or a general women's health test that are supposed to help you take control uh, and understand what's going on in your body, I suppose. In the cases that potentially somebody gets a result that isn't in the normal range, what could they expect to happen next? 
When it comes to the results, you might just get sort of a dashboard that tells you where your result falls within a range. You might get a bit of explanation. So for example, it might say you're at risk of developing diabetes over the next 10 years and you can reduce this risk with a healthier diet or more exercise. Or you might get a lengthier report about what the results mean and under what circumstances you should seek further medical help. Others don't offer any follow-up care. So one that we found and reported on in the article said, we recommend you contact your GP for a full interpretation of your results. Have you spoken to anyone else who's used these tests? And what kind of impression have you got from people who have tried out private at-home blood tests? In one instance, I spoke to someone who just felt a bit kind of off and was recommended a cortisol test, but then wasn't sure about how to interpret the results and went to see her GP who said, you know, this is all fine. I wouldn't have ordered this test for you. I've also spoken to GPs who say that they have people coming in, you know, with a report from a a blood test that they've ordered online, wanting further tests or being worried about the results or not knowing what the results mean, which puts the GP in a bit of a difficult position because this might be for a test that they would have never ordered And actually, the GPs that I spoke to said if they felt it was needed, they would then have to reorder that test result anyway. So I have actually been anxiously checking my emails the past few days, wondering when my results were going to come in. And finally, they are here. I've got the email. So I'm going to take a look now. Let's click on that. Right. The test I've ordered was a kind of general health test. There were 20 biomarkers that were being measured. And at the top, I can see that there's a note from a doctor explaining my results below. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but I am happy to tell you that I'm in full health. Um, My iron is a bit low. You know, I have actually had iron tests before. And frankly, for me, that number looks great. And they have suggested a follow up test for B12 to work out if there could be a significant underlying deficiency, which sounds really worrying. But actually, when you scroll down and look, that biomarker is in the normal range. I think I need to ask a few more questions. Time to call another expert. Bernie Kroll, you're president of the Association for Clinical Biochemistry and Laboratory Medicine. Tell me, how accurate are these tests? I think it's difficult to say. When we talk about accuracy, it's more than just how correct is the number or the result that you get back. Testing is a wide end-to-end process. Um, we, we use the term, you know, brain-to-brain or, 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 or vein-to-brain, where the whole testing process starts with the decision to take the sample, which then passes on through how you then transport that sample, how that sample is dealt with in the lab before the analytical process begins. And then you have the analytical part. And then after that, you have the interpretation and what then happens with that result. The whole process is a sort of multitude of different opportunities where things can go wrong. So if we have processes in place which are not perfect, you can see how the end result, no matter how good the analytical part is, can be 
not great, basically. So the analytical part is the bit in the laboratory where the tests are done. And of course, some of these companies are keen to point out that the labs that they use for their blood tests are fully accredited. But do we know if that's the case for all of them? In the UK, most NHS labs have accreditation in place governed by UCAS and um, it's not even mandatory, you know, so there are some NHS labs that struggle to get it and don't have it. But within the private sector, we don't know. But also it's not the be all and end all because you can have accreditation but still have a poor laboratory service. So there are a lot of concerns around accuracy and about the different points in which the whole process can produce results which are not correct, basically. What are your concerns around people doing these tests and then getting results that do have kind of this margin of error within them? I think there are two general areas of concern. One is around the accuracy of the tests, but the other aspect is around appropriateness and interpretation. Doing lots of tests inevitably will throw up questions of false positive, false negative results, and also how those actual numbers or test results are interpreted. Interpretation of laboratory results can be difficult. We attempt to make it simpler by having what we commonly refer to as a normal range. We would define the normal range or the reference range, as we prefer to call it, by the assumption that if you take 100 people, 95 of them would have a result within that range. The consequence of that, of course, is that if I say measure 100 tests on you, and even though you might be normal, by chance, five of those tests will be outside of the normal range. That doesn't mean that it's an abnormal result for you. It's your normal result. So you can see that the more testing you do, the more likelihood that you will get abnormal results that actually aren't abnormal at all. What you're saying is that you could do a test, get a concerning result that's actually either totally normal for you or basically down to statistical chance, but you would obviously want to follow up on that. So what kind of aftercare is being offered? From what I've seen, I think it's variable. Or they may simply just say you should go and see your GP. And that is a concern in that a lot of direct-to-consumer testing as it begins to expand, which we are seeing, will inevitably lead to more patients knocking on the door of their GP at a time when they can least afford to have the time to see them. There will be a portion of society, the worried well, who will be persuaded that they may have something wrong with them and may go down a line of testing that is either inappropriate or misguided and is then misinterpreted. You know, there are patients that I've ended up looking after who have very, very serious illnesses, and you can trace that illness all the way back to an unnecessary blood test that was misinterpreted that led to other investigations, more invasive investigations, and the consequences and side effects of those investigations led to that patient ending up in intensive care. Emma, we've heard from you and from Bernie about a lot of the challenges that these tests can cause the health service. So it seems 
pretty important that they're at least well regulated. But how much do we actually know about that? What kind of regulation exists for these kinds of private testing companies? The Care Quality Commission, the CQC, in theory oversees services in England that perform tests and analysis, but their sort of marketing and the consumer outreach part of it and sending of home kits is outside its regulatory remit. And it's really the Advertising Standards Agency who currently is responsible for investigating any misleading claims that are made in the marketing of such tests. Many of the doctors and experts that I spoke to did want to see more regulation. They said that this sort of pick and mix blood testing is actually not a replacement for taking a history, examining somebody, because even GPs sometimes will have a patient in front of them and a a test might come back borderline and they have symptoms and it can be difficult to know. It's not necessarily clear cut what a result means, even in those circumstances. So they're saying that patients should be informed that normal, so-called normal results may not provide complete reassurance or predict an outcome. And, you know, if they're experiencing symptoms, really, they need to seek the appropriate healthcare. If you're ill or not well, perhaps these tests are not the right place to go. But at the same time, let's say you've just become vegan and you want to get a sense of how your diet is affecting your health, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. Yeah, so the companies that we approached told us that many customers come to them because they're either having trouble accessing NHS services or because the NHS doesn't provide the service that they're looking for. So that might happen around people who are very into sport, who are trying to kind of optimise their diet and lifestyle. That's not the kind of test that would be available on the NHS. They also say that, you know, having this proactive approach, encouraging people to take control and understand more about their health will save the NHS money in the longer term. You know, we know there are lots of undiagnosed patients with diabetes or undiagnosed patients with high cholesterol, that maybe there is some benefit there to people taking ownership of that. I think the the message we ultimately got from all the experts I spoke to is, you know, that people can choose to spend their money however they like. The issue is about are they truly informed and are they being given sort of a full package of care, I suppose, that the NHS isn't picking up any pieces. Emma, that has been absolutely fascinating. So thank you so much for coming on and telling us about your investigation. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Of the companies Emma approached in her investigation, those who responded were keen to make clear that their services aim to reduce health anxiety and the burden on the NHS, and that by performing preventative medicine and highlighting any abnormal results, signs of more serious illness could be detected sooner. Thanks again to Emma Wilkinson and to Bernie Kroll. Before you go, I want to tell you about an offer from The Guardian. If you subscribe to our newspapers today, you can get up to 42% off, meaning you'd pay only £1.60 per issue. The offer ends on Sunday the 19th of February 2023, so just search for Guardian newspaper subscription. And that's it for today. The producers were me, Madeline Finlay and Ned Carter-Miles. The sound design was by Tony Onachuku. And the executive producers were Georgia Moody and Ellie Bury. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then.
This is The Guardian.